Welcome back to another College Hoops Mania show. I'm your host, Wes Troyer, and you are currently listening to Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. I'm happy to be back today for another episode with you guys. I'm making this a weekly thing, recording this on Sunday night and getting out to you guys earlier in the week so I can cover last week's results and look ahead to the next week. I encourage you guys to subscribe to me on iTunes and follow me on Spotify, depending necessarily which way you listen to this through. Uh, if if you're if you'd be kind enough, I'd really appreciate a a rating on iTunes and a review if you wouldn't mind. Spotify, you can't leave rating reviews, but on on Apple Podcasts, you can do that. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, that'd be that'd be very helpful to me as I'm just trying to make this podcast more popular, the show more popular for you guys. As well as I now have a Patreon account, so if you guys uh, would be kind enough to you know donate as little as one dollar, you know whatever it may be, that's very helpful for me to get better content out there for you guys, so that I can get better equipment, etc. And yeah, you can find me on Patreon at uh, West Troy. You can search up West Troy on there, or you can look up Patreon.com/slash College Hoops Mania. Either way would work, and I pr- I'd greatly appreciate any donation, as it would really help my show. But to start things off today, I want to first discuss Michigan State, and the question going around the country is, will Michigan State make the 2021 NCAA tournament? And as of right now, uh, it, it, it's pretty up in the air on what to expect for Michigan State. So, give you guys a general recap on what's going on with Michigan State. Michigan State lost to Purdue, and then they hit the COVID. They hit COVID, and they go 20 days on pause. They come back earlier this past week, and on Thursday, they play Rutgers. First game back in 20 days, you know, you don't know what to expect. Could be a little rusty, and they go out there really, really struggle. They lose 67, 67 to 37. They're down 15 nothing right out of the gate. Wasn't really competitive at all. And then today, I'm recording this Sunday night. Today, this afternoon on Sunday, they played Ohio State. And they lose to Ohio State 79-62. Another game where they were behind right away. They made it somewhat interesting late. They got it to single digits, but it was never really it was never really up in question on whether Ohio State would lose the lead or not. So, so like I said, Michigan State comes back from pause, goes 0-2 this week. In these two games... Their leading score between both games combined was 14 points. That was the most anybody scored in a game this week for Michigan State. And looking at the Rutgers game, they didn't have a single guy scoring double figures against Rutgers. That is just inexcusable and honestly embarrassing for Michigan State, a team that's had so much success year to year under Tom Izzo. And, you know, it's easy to say, like, this is a Tom Izzo coach team. Don't panic. There's still a lot of time left in the season. There's a lot of opportunities in the Big Ten, which is true. There are a lot of opportunities in that conference. But the thing is, it's not like Michigan State's just playing bad. Like, they're playing bad because they have serious issues, personnel issues. But ask yourself this question. Who is their guy? Who's their main guy? Is it Aaron Henry? Is it Rocket Watts? Is it Joey Hauser? Honestly, nobody really knows. It's it's different night to night. I said earlier in a podcast, I thought Aaron Henry was kind of becoming that guy. Earlier this year, and that was a while ago, that was over a month ago, he was starting to play good basketball and becoming that go-to guy, the alpha dog for the Spartans. 
anymore. You, you just don't really know. I mean, it, the past two games this week, combined, combined points for all three, all three of these guys in the two games. Aaron Henry scored 17 points in the two games. Rocket, Rocket Watt scored 10 points in two games. And Joey Hauser scored 17 points in the two games. Like, 17 in a single game is good, but between two games, no. No, that's not what you're looking. That's not what you're looking for when talking about the best players on your team. And in, in more issues with Michigan State, everyone knows how important the point guard position is. It's really, really hard to be a good basketball team if you don't have a point guard who takes care of the ball, who defends the opposing point guard hard, you know, sets the tone, is the leader of the team. They just don't really have the identity of point guard right now. They tried Hogard. They find they found out Hogard can't really score. The freshman point guard, he can't really score. I mean, he's not really a great playmaker. He took care of the ball okay, which was good, but I mean, he wasn't like he wasn't the leader that you're looking for. He couldn't really do a lot off the dribble. He couldn't do a lot with his shot. So I mean, kind of failed there. Didn't do a terrible job, but he just doesn't bring a lot to the table as of right now in his career. Foster Lawyer, they've tried him many times. He can shoot the ball. Everyone knows that, but fact is he's undersized and he really hurts them on defense. And they've tried Rocket Watts time to time. They started Rocket at point today. And let's be honest, Rocket's more of a two guard. Like Rocket is a better scorer than he is a passer. And having him at point guard isn't necessarily the best fit for him as a player because he's just not a great passer. You'd rather have him off the ball, more of a scorer. And like Aaron Henry sometimes uh, handles the ball, plays point guard a little bit. But looking at Aaron Henry's numbers, the guy's averaging three turnovers a game. You can't have that in your point guard. And this isn't necessarily discussing his point guard ability, but Aaron Henry is also shooting 23% from three this year. His shooting numbers are way down from his previous two years. And that's inexcusable. Aaron Henry needs to be better because when you watch this team, they kind of look at Aaron Henry as the guy and he Aaron Henry kind of acts like he's the guy or he's supposed to be the guy, but he is not producing. And if Michigan State wants to turn it around, it needs to begin with Aaron Henry, and it also needs to begin with discovering a point guard. And I think Rocket Watts is probably their best option going forward between uh, Foster Lawyer and A.J. Hogard, but I'm not saying Rocket's great at that position. It's probably not where he's best at on the floor. More Michigan State problems. It, I, mean, I got more to talk about. They don't have a true post presence on offense to score. I mean, Thomas Kithier's not really that guy. The rest of them are more like stretch, stretch forwards. And, and they also don't really have a post player who can defend the post. Kithier is, you know, like he, he's a high IQ guy. Like he, he knows what he's supposed to do. He's just not very skilled. He can't shoot. He's not the most athletic. He's not the biggest, but, and, and that's kind of the problem. Like he, he's not terrible at defending the post. He knows what he's supposed to do. He just is not the same athlete as those other guys. So he's not great there. Hauser can't really do it. They've tried Malik Hall, and Malik Hall's not great at it. I mean, Hauser and Malik Hall are a little undersized to defend the post because the Big Ten just has so many good post post players. I mean, Luca Garza, probably player of the year. Trace Jackson Davis could be a first-team All-American. You know, he's probably going to be an All-American at least. Uh, Miles Johnson for Rutgers is becoming a really, really good post. Kofi Coburn of Illinois. Travion Williams of Purdue. You can go on and on about the really good posts in the Big Ten. Hunter Dickinson for Michigan is another one. And if you don't have a po uh, a, like a true big man who can defend the post effectively and is strong in there and you know is a real presence, you're really going to struggle in the Big Ten Conference, in particular the Big Ten Conference this season. Big Ten Conference is always good. It's always a physical league. 
you know, banging bodies down low. But especially this year with all the good big men in this conference, Michigan State is really lacking a needed position. And look, Michigan State, looking at their Ken Palm numbers, they're now 62 on Ken Palm overall, and they're nearly outside of the top 50 in both offense and defense. They're 74 in offense, and they're 48 in defense. So it's not like they're really good on one end of the floor, and they're just so abysmal on the other end of the floor. I mean, they have issues on both ends of the floor. They're mediocre to below average, you know, for a tournament team on both ends of the floor. And so they have room for improvement on both ends. It's not like they're scoring the ball and can't defend. It's not like they're really good defensively and just are searching for offense. They're kind of searching for both right now, and that's that's a major problem. And like I said earlier, the question is, will Michigan State make the 2021 NCAA tournament? Right now, I just don't think they'll make the tournament. And partially is just kind of looking at their upcoming schedule because Michigan State on Tuesday, they play Iowa. And that's more than likely a loss. And then they have Nebraska and Penn State. Now, they should beat Nebraska. Penn State, you know, that's a tough game. That can go either way. Penn State is at the bottom of the Big Ten, and it's a very winnable game. But they're still a good basketball team, and they're capable. And Penn State's getting better right now. Is Penn State just beat Wisconsin. And then looking at Penn, looking after Penn State, they play Iowa again. You know, probably another loss. Then they play at Purdue. They play at IU. They play Ohio State at home. They play at Maryland and they play home to Michigan. I just don't see enough opportunities for wins realistically for Michigan State. You know, barring a miracle, I don't see Michigan State making the 2021 NCAA tournament, which is crazy to say. It is something that is totally out of the norm for Tom Izzo Spartans. Getting past Michigan State, the SEC Big 12 Challenge took place this weekend. And it's really just a fun event because most of these uh, non-conference challenges, like the conference challenges between each other, take place before conference play. And the SEC Big 12 is really unique because this is the thing they've been doing recently where they play each other at the end of January in the midst of conference play. It's really interesting to see where teams are at, where conferences are at. And everyone really thought the Big 12, would, the Big 12 had this one. And... It turns out the SEC won five to four. Now there were 10 games and there was one cancellation with the Texas-Kentucky game. So they only played nine. And the SEC came away winning five to four. Uh, just going over the results real quickly here. Missouri beat TCU. Mississippi State beat Iowa State. Florida beat West Virginia. Tennessee beat Kansas. Texas A&M beat Kansas State. That's the five wins for the SEC. The four wins for the Big 12 was Baylor beating Auburn. Oklahoma beating Alabama. Oklahoma State beating Arkansas. And Texas Tech beating LSU. So I want to touch on a couple of these games here and some really notable ones here. First off, let's talk about Oklahoma. Oklahoma played the hottest team in the country on Saturday in Alabama. Alabama had won 10 straight. Oklahoma knocked off the hottest team in the country to become the hottest team in the country, which is kind of crazy, but it's honestly the truth. Oklahoma now has... They have three wins in a row over uh, three top 10 ranked teams when they played them, Kansas, Texas, Alabama. On Tuesday, Oklahoma beat Texas 80-79. to And then on Saturday, they beat Alabama 66-61. to And let's not forget to mention that they didn't have Austin Reeves, their leading scorer, their best player, their leader. And they also didn't have another starter in Alondes Williams. So really impressive win for Oklahoma. Looking at Oklahoma... 
and just kind of what what they kind of bring to the table as a team. I would say the biggest thing about Oklahoma and what's most impressive about them is it necessarily how good they are at one aspect. You know, they're not just like a dominant offensive team. They're not a dominant defensive force, but they're, they don't have a glaring weakness anywhere. And they're really, really well-rounded, really solid team. They take care of the ball. They have multiple shooters on the outside. They have guys who can get downhill, and they defend well. I mean, you say those things, that's recipe for a really good team, right? Like, they're 25 in offense of efficiency on Ken Palm, and they're 28th in defense efficiency on Ken Palm. And I would say the thing for Oklahoma is they necessarily haven't gotten a lot better on the offensive end, but they're really improving on the defensive end right now. They played really well defensively this week, especially Saturday against Alabama. Really good, disrupted, made Alabama uncomfortable, turned them over a lot. Something else that's interesting about this Sooner team is going into the year, I mean, you wasn't, wasn't really sure who's going to be the best player between Austin Reeves and Brady Manick. There's kind of their big one-two punch. And in this three-game winning streak, they have been producing, okay, one game without Austin Reeves. Saturday, they beat Alabama. And Brady Manick came back from uh, COVID protocols. And, like, he just wasn't producing much for them. He he shot pretty poorly on Saturday. He shot 5 for 13 overall, but he's 1 for 6 from 3. He hasn't been very efficient. And in the previous two games, he really didn't do much. And so it's really interesting that Oklahoma has, you know, that much depth, that many guys that, you know, can say, you know, let's step up. I got to step up. Austin Reeves is down. You know, Manic is just coming back from COVID. I got to step up here. And they have guys that have been able to do that. In particular, Davion Harmon has really took over a big role for himself. And on Saturday, he had 18 points. He had four boards and four assists. And if you watch this game, you just kind of had that sense about him that he's just the leader of this team. You know, he was confident in himself, ready to take over. And he did that. He did really like he was getting he was he's making shots from beyond the arc. But he also put the ball in his hands and he was able to get downhill. And it was impressive how much he was able to get downhill on this Alabama team, who's really good defensively, who's very versatile, can switch one through five. And in particular, because Nate Oates' philosophy for Alabama and their defense is don't give up any layups. We want to get people to take mid-range shots. You know, he's playing the percentages. He said, you know, it basketball today is threes and layups. And if we can make people take mid-ranges and kind of, you know, force them to do that. That's what we want. And that's winning. That's, that's just how we're going to try to win games. And Davion Harmon really got downhill and got to the rim quite often on this Alabama defense, whose philosophy is to not allow that. So that was very impressive to see. And I want to give appreciation to two guys on Oklahoma that necessarily aren't discussed a lot when talking about this Oklahoma team. People talk about Davion Harmon. People talk about Brady Manick and Austin Reeves a lot. Emoji Gibson, the really good three-point shooter on the outside. But two guys that aren't talked about enough are Elijah Harkless and Victor Iwakor. Um, Harkless is averaging over two steals a game, which that alone is really good, and is one. Of, it would be one of the leaders in the country in steals a game. But he's also only playing 21 minutes per game this year. So per 40, he's almost getting four steals a game, which is remarkable. Like really, really good numbers, and kind of the the hate on Harkless or like the reason why he hasn't been playing as much. It's been a little turnover prone at times and he's averaging about two turnovers a game. But the fact is he, he scores, he rebounds, he passes and he defends really, really well. He gives a lot of good stuff on the defensive end for Oklahoma. 
and he still has a positive assist to turnover ratio despite turning the ball over a little more than he he should be if he would clean that up I'm pretty positive his minutes would be you know around 30 and Lon Kruger would be a lot more comfortable playing in more minutes but he's been kind of an unsung hero for Oklahoma this year and also not necessarily that Iwakor has been an unsung hero for Oklahoma although he has played really good minutes the problem is I think he should be playing a lot more minutes than he has. He's only playing 14 minutes a game, but he was key in Saturday's win. He gave the Sooners five offensive rebounds, and you know, just like those five-second chances turn into points, and they're really important in a game where it's really tight and five-point victory. You know, points are hard to come by in that game, and they're very important second chances. And he, he like I said, he only plays about 14 minutes per game. But he actually nearly leads the team in offensive rebounding, which is pretty amazing. He's He has a knack for the ball and getting offensive rebounds. And I think uh, Kruger should up his minutes a little bit, you know, closer to 20 because he's he gets really active. He plays really hard. And, you know, Kirk Weth, he plays great minutes as well, and he gets offensive rebounds not to the same rate Iwakor does. But both of those guys, long, long big men who, you know, are active and high-energy guys, and that, that's kind of what you need in role players. You need them to have high energy, and Oklahoma has that on this team. So, yeah, I like the thing about Oklahoma, like I said, is they can just beat you at a lot of different places. You know, it's hard to game plan for them because they're just so well-rounded, not great at anything, not bad at anything, and that's just what makes them difficult. Oklahoma, though, looking at their schedule, so like I said, they had they have three wins in a row over very good opponents, AP top 10 ranked teams when they played them. But four of the next five games they play are against Texas Tech, Baylor, West Virginia, and Texas. So the, the gauntlet doesn't stop for the Sooners because, like I said, those are some, that, that's some pretty good competition coming Oklahoma's way. And we'll get an even better idea about Oklahoma and to see if they're if they're just hot right now, or if this is a really good basketball team that should be talked about more and respected more. The next SEC Big 12 game I want to touch on was the beatdown that Tennessee brought to Kansas Saturday night, 6 o'clock on ESPN. Tennessee dominated Kansas 80-61, to and uh, there's a lot to say about both teams here, so I'm going to first talk about Tennessee and to talk about the positive things to look at this game where we get to, you know, the darkness of Kansas and what they are right now. So Tennessee looked brilliant against Missouri on December 30th, and they really fell off after that. And if you guys have listened to my podcast this year, or if you just started, I'll let you know, I, I did declare that Tennessee was the third best team in the country after the Missouri game. I just thought they were awesome defensively, which they are still. And I thought they were really good offensively as well, which they approved not to be. So so I was wrong there. But on Saturday, kind of looked to be the team that I thought they might be earlier, you know, about a month ago. And and what they could be. They showed us what they could be, what their potential is. So looking at the three games before this, they were one and two in that stretch. Their one win being over Mississippi State earlier this week. Close, by the way. Uh, the last three games, though, they have been averaging 16 turnovers a game while shooting 36% from the field and 25% from three. They've been playing terrible on the offensive end, not taking care of the ball, not shooting it, not driving it, not doing really much of anything. And then on Saturday, the script really flipped back to what they can be. Uh, Tennessee, 
their slash line, 53 from the field, 62 from three, 94 at the line. They shot the ball great. Tennessee offensively wasn't just making shots. You know, it's not like they were just making contested shots, getting lucky, which happens sometimes with teams. Is shooting can be a big variable. But the fact is Tennessee was finally getting good penetration. They were lacking that from their, from their guards. There's a lot of passing around the perimeter. It was a lot of forcing it inside, Fulkerson or Pons making, taking tough shots, you know, not great shot selection from this team. But on Saturday, they were able to get really good penetration inside, which just opens up the whole floor. It opens up the perimeter. It, you know, it might allow you to get a layup. It might allow you to give a dump off to Fulkerson or Pons, a lob to Pons, you know. They've been lacking this. And Saturday, Tennessee was finally taking consistently good shots and not forcing shots like they've been doing the past month. It was really good to see. Getting production from Pons on the offensive end is huge for Tennessee. He went 7 for 9 Saturday. And getting him to be efficient like that is really what they need. Because he's he might be the defensive player, the national defensive player of the year. He If he's not, you know, he's at least like a top five defender in college basketball. He affects the game so many ways on that end of the floor. If he's not blocking a shot, he's still altering shots constantly. People really struggle to score on him. He can guard big postmen. He can guard smaller guards. He, he's super versatile. So getting him to perform like that on offense is huge for Tennessee if he can become a really solid two-way player. Because we all know Tennessee is amazing defensively. You know, everybody knows that. They're the number two Ken. They actually were the number one defense on Ken Palm after the game. Then when Houston played today in BSMU, Houston uh, took over the number one spot defensively. But Tennessee is still number two defense on Ken Palm and on Saturday they just they looked like that amazing defense best defense in the country second best defense in the country again they just smothered Kansas they really just ran them off the three-point line and it wasn't just running them off the three-point line and giving them looks inside they 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 uh really played on a string and helped each other and recovered and they scrambled really well they they recovered really well they didn't give them very many clean looks at all Kansas was very uncomfortable the whole time. And and another thing is Tennessee keeps people off the glass. Like, you can play good defense and then give up an offensive rebound and your good defense no longer matters. You got to you gotta play good defense for a whole other 20 seconds. And that's what hurts a lot of teams. The thing is, Tennessee's great defensively, and they're also a really good rebounding team. So that's a really good combination to have because they are really just suffocating for teams as they have – multiple really good defenders and they get up and you I thought Jaden Springer defended really well and he, he played he played all around really good game I thought he defended really well which was impressive for Jaden Springer as he's known is more of the bucket getter that he is which is true he's a really gifted offensive player now on the flip side of this it's time to talk Kansas the Kansas Jayhawks have now lost four out of five games their lone win coming earlier this week to TCU close in a game where it was pretty ugly and they didn't look too good. And David McCormick hit his first career three, and that's what it took for Kansas to come away with a win over TCU. And in the past five games, they've only cracked 71 times. One time they have cracked 70 points. In my last podcast, I said that the consistency is just not there, and it's true, although they're they're actually kind of being consistent right now, consistently playing pretty bad on offense, that that being the case. But looking at past Kansas teams, Bill Self has had so many good Kansas teams, and the fact is he's had so many NBA guys or just guys that can take over a game when you need a bucket, give them the ball, and they'll do it. Like Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, Ben McElmore, 
Andrew Wiggins, Defon Dotson. Like Josh jo Josh Jackson wasn't necessarily that guy, but he's a really talented guy, NBA guy that Kansas doesn't really have now. Joel Embiid, Mario Chalmers. They just don't have those guys right now. And they don't really have any surefire NBA guys. Ochai Abaji is probably their, their best NBA prospect, but he's just he's super inconsistent. You don't know what you're going to get from him night to night. And he had, he had a bad shooting performance on Saturday. And that being said, like, Kansas isn't great defensively, but they're not bad defensively. They're still a pretty good defensive team. The The main issue is on, is on the offensive end. Like I said, they just don't know where a bucket's coming from possession to possession. If they need one, if it's the end of a game, it's crunch time, they're down one and they need a bucket, who are they going to give the ball to? Like, you can give it to Marcus Garrett, but he's not really a great scorer. Oshai Abaji. Um, he, he kind of disappears time to time. Jalen Wilson isn't necessarily like an ISO player who can go get a bucket for you. He can try to throw it into David McCormick, who's probably been their most consistent player of late, to be honest with you. But David McCormick isn't one of like the premier postmen in the country. And so that's kind of their issue. They don't really have that alpha dog similar to Michigan State doesn't, but they're better than Michigan State. I'm not saying that they're Michigan State uh, bad. But Kansas really just doesn't have that alpha dog, and that's what they're searching for right now. Another thing is uh, they don't really know what to do at point guard. Like, they've tried Marcus Garrett for a lot of this year, and it's not that Marcus Garrett has done a bad job, but, like, they put him in so many ball screens, and teams just play drop coverage on it, and they just sag in the paint. Kansas doesn't have a lot of outside threats. Christian Brown, they need him to be a consistent knockdown shooter, and he just hasn't been consistent at that. They tried DeJuan, or DeJuan Harris at point guard on Saturday. He got in foul trouble right away, so we don't even know what was going to happen with that. DeJuan Harris has played good minutes. He's more of the true point guard look where he he's a pass-first player. He runs the offense, and he, he's, he's a good ball handler. But he got into foul trouble right away, like I said, so we didn't get to see him play too much. So it's right back to Marcus Garrett. And, and I'm not trying to say that this Kansas team's bad because this Kansas team is not bad at all. I still think this is probably a top 25 basketball team. But the fact is, people look at this team and say they're bad and overreact because in comparison and due to expectations, they're just not close to what to the expectations, and they're not going to meet those expectations because this team's not a great team. And people need to accept that. But people also need to realize this is it's not a bad team. Like the, This team can still play basketball. They... they they have, they're the cap they have capability to upset you, and I'm sure they'll get a big win along the way somewhere. But this isn't, you know, a normal one seed, two seed Bill Self team. You're looking at maybe a a six or seven seed for this Kansas Jayhawk team this year, which that's just what it is. It's still it's still easily a tournament team for Kansas, in my opinion, but it's just not a great Kansas team. Once again, this is College Hoops Mania, and you are listening to this on Dash Radio's Nothing but net channel. Next up, how about the Drake Bulldogs out of the Missouri Valley Conference? Drake is now 16-0, and this team's really, really gifted offensively, and it's a team full of shooters, and a team that could make some noise come March. Uh, they have guys like Roman Penn shooting 41% from three, DJ Wilkins shooting 51 from three. Joseph Yasufu shooting 37 from three. Tramel Murphy shooting 36 from three. This team shooting 41% as a team. They have shooters everywhere. And this is 
This is honestly looking like a really dangerous team out of the Missouri Valley. Drake being 16-0 is now the third Missouri Valley Conference team to win their first 16 games in the last 50 seasons. The other two being Wichita State and Indiana State, who both went on to win uh, 35 straight for Wichita and 33 straight for Indiana State, and they both earned one seeds. Now, me saying that is not saying Drake's going to be a one seed. Uh, Drake is not going to be a one seed. They don't have that strength of schedule to be a one seed, but this is still a really good team, and that's pretty good company to be in. Really, really good company to be in, in fact. Drake's highest win uh, against a team on Ken Palm is Missouri State at 126, so that kind of speaks to their strength of schedule. They haven't played much of a schedule, but this team's still 16-0, and it's time to put some respect on their name. So I, I wanted to segment on Drake because they de deserve some respect right now for the terrific season they're having. The Drake Bulldog Twitter account actually dropped a video called Guide to Being a Bulldog Bandwagon Fan, and I want to play that for you guys. So here's the soundbite. To that video. Hello and welcome to the Nap Center. We have noticed an uptick in Bulldog bandwagoners, so here's your guide to being a Bulldog bandwagon fan. First, our colors are blue and white. Our mascot's name is Spike. We also have a live mascot. No, not him, although he was here once. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Our good boy's name is Griff2. Aw, just look at him. We're a private school in Des Moines, Iowa. Urban area with a middle America feel. A little history. We were really, really good in the 1960s and 70s. Even went to the Final Four in 1969, where our team barely lost to John Wood and Lou Alcindor. There was also that magical year of 2008, a team with little outside expectations went on a 21 game winning streak, surging into the top 25 and into the big dance. The star of that season was a guy named Adam Immenecker. He now has a sandwich named after him and a glorious beard. Goals. Now our head coach is Darren DeVries. He spent 20 years helping build Creighton. Now he's a bulldog and next year his son will be too forcing his family into a lifetime of wearing blue. That should get you started on being a Bulldog. Now do yourself and your friends a favor and share this vital information. So there you go. Oh, now you guys know how to be a Drake Bulldog bandwagon fan. Got a little history of this school. And I love that the Drake Twitter went out and did that. And why not? Why not bring attention? Why not bring some good content to the Drake Bulldog community? Because their basketball team is really good this year. And the thing to look at going forward, save the dates, February 13th and February 14th, Loyola Chicago and Drake play each other back-to-back -back days. It's going to be great basketball. Missouri Valley Conference could be a two-bid two league this year. Loyola is actually like 16 in Ken Palm, number six defense in the country. So those two dates, save them because it's going to be really, really good basketball in the Missouri Valley Conference. It's now time to look at more notable results from this past week in college basketball. It's hard to touch on everything super thoroughly, so I'm going to cover a bunch of notable results in this past week. 
rather quickly on each one, but I will touch them. So first off, Monday night, it was big Monday, and West Virginia Texas Tech played a great, great basketball game. West Virginia ended up winning 88-87. Texas Tech was actually up about 12 points with eight minutes left in this game. And what was so fun to watch uh, about this game was the battle between Miles McBride, uh, Deuce McBride, and Mac McClung going at it. I mean, it was just back and forth. McClung would hit a big shot, you know, next time down the court. McBride would hit a big shot, and it was just back and forth, and it was two guys really wanting to win and two leaders stepping up for their team. It was really, really fun to watch. Great basketball Monday night. Next result I want to touch on is in the Big East, Creighton beat Seton Hall 85-81 to on Wednesday. This was quite the comeback for the Blue Jays. So Seton Hall was actually up 16 in the second half, and it was, I, I believe, with like 12 minutes left in the second half, Seton Hall was up 16 in this game. So it was looking to be a really big win for Seton Hall and a much-needed win for their resume. And Creighton just went ballistic. They started hitting shots. Mitch Ballack got ultra hot, and that's really what Creighton needs because – Mitch Ballack has definitely performed under expectations. He's been underwhelming, to say the least, not shooting the ball great, you know, because Mitch Ballack is one of the more pure shooters in the sport. So getting him to go off, that's that's production they need more of him going forward. So crazy comeback Wednesday night between Creighton and Seton Hall. Friday, Illinois beat Iowa 80-75. to And I just want to say this was one of – the better games in the whole college basketball season. And what I loved about it, it was it was a standalone game on Friday night. I love that the Big Ten does that. They have their game on Friday night, and, you know, there's really not much else going on in the sport. So if you're watching college basketball, you're watching Big Ten basketball that night. And it was a great game. It was a back-and-forth game. And it was two great teams playing two great brands of basketball. Both teams played super, super well. Both teams shot the ball well. Uh, they, they took care of the ball fairly well. Illinois did turn it over a little bit at times, but overall it was a really well-played game, and Illinois ended up coming out on top. And I had to soon move. I mean, he played like he was the best player in college basketball that night. He went 11 for 18 from the field, uh, 25 points. He had four assists in the game. And he just got downhill. People could not stay in front of him. And he also hit three threes too. So his effective field goal percentage, I'm not sure what it was, but it had to be very high as so he went three for three from three. But DeSumo just played awesome. I mean, the problem with Illinois, everyone knows how good they can be, and and they've shown it at times like they did this game. But it's been inconsistency problems mainly on the defensive end. They take possessions off, and they can't they can't afford to do that going forward. Holding Iowa to 75 is a win. That's really all you can ask for, playing Iowa. 75 points, holding that, that's that's good for Illinois. And they played, they played pretty consistent possession to possession. Andre Curbelo, you know, He's just so fun to watch. He, For him coming off the bench, he's one of the more fun players to watch in college basketball. Like He gets on the floor, and they put him at point, and he just is a magician in ball screens. And he, he he's so hard to stay in front of. Nobody can really stay in front of him, even though people know he can't shoot and people give him space. He still blows by them. And he's also he's just a great passer. He whips it around the floor. He, he makes some crazy skip passes, some one-handed passes. He's really fun to watch. And... In Iowa, like they haven't had C.J. Frederick of late, and Keegan Murray has done a great job, the freshman for them. He scores, he, he rebounds really well. He, he he's a high energy guy, and there's nothing against him because he's played great minutes for them. 
but not having C.J. Frederick kind of takes a little bit of an element off Iowa just because instead of having four really, really good shooters around Luka Garza, they only have three now because Murray, Murray does shoot it from three and he'll make some threes, but he's he's not the shooter that C.J. Frederick is not, not close to him. It's Frederick shooting it like 50% from three. So Iowa's still really, really good offensively, but getting C.J. Frederick back will allow them to go the four shooters around Luka Garza, which will help Garza. I mean, it'll help Iowa offensively. So getting him back will be will be big in the upcoming games. Next result, uh, Saturday, Baylor over Auburn, 84-72. This was an interesting game to me just due to the fact of how how will the Baylor guards be able to contain, be able to stop Sharif Cooper because no one has been able to shop, stop Sharif Cooper yet. I mean, he's been torching defenses. Uh, no one can really contain him, and he, he he's been getting like double assist, double digit assists a game, while also scoring at a super high rate, like twenty points per game. But Baylor just did a really really good job on him. Davion Mitchell in particular, he really really got up in Sharif, and right out of the get go, he made it. He made life hard on Sharif, and Sharif only had five assists and four turnovers in this game. I know five assists is still a decent number, but when talking about Sharif Cooper, that if you hold Sharif to five assists, you did a really good job. And that just speaks to the volumes of how good this Baylor defense is. Baylor has three defensive National Defensive Player of the Year finalists in uh, Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, and Mike Vidal. And this Baylor defense is nasty. It's the best defense in the country. And how they contained Sharif Cooper was pretty amazing. Uh, to watch. Another Saturday result was Virginia Tech beating Virginia 65-61. to This was uh, a, a decently surprising game to me, decently surprising result. Not that I think Virginia uh, wasn't a good team. I did think they were a really good team. I just thought Virginia was becoming to be a really good team in this game. Caught me by surprise a little bit. It was 29-21 Virginia up at the half, and in the second half, Virginia Tech just completely flipped the switch, and Virginia Tech, Virginia, Virginia, that was the interesting storyline of this game. They were the team who defended harder, who played harder, who got up any more the whole second half, and, and then Virginia's defense also struggled in the second half as Virginia Tech was able to really stretch them out, and they hit a bunch of threes, so they kept them honest from out there, which allowed Keve Aluma and more room to operate, but Aluma really kept them in the game in the first half. Second half, he played terrifically, too. But without Aluma's first half performance, Virginia Tech was really getting no offense. Kevin Aluma is probably one of the more underappreciated players in college basketball. The Wofford transfer who came over with Mike Young, uh, who also came from Wofford. So, yeah, really impressive win for Virginia Tech and uh, honestly a statement win. As Virginia Tech beat Notre Dame on the road and they beat Virginia this week after losing to Syracuse. So really good bounce back week for the Hokies. Next result I like to cover is Texas Tech beating LSU 76 to 71, and you might say Texas Tech beating LSU is no surprise, but it's more about how this game went. Uh, Texas Tech was down seven with a little over a minute left in this game, and Mac McClung hit a three with about a minute left, and then they got a stop, and then they got it back, and McClung hit another three, and then on the inbound McClung got a deflection, which ended up being a steal and layup, and Texas Tech goes up one, and they get a stop, and they end up holding on to complete the comeback against LSU. So that that was a pretty pretty amazing comeback. I mean, Mac Mac Dagger, I like to call him Mac McClung. He's just so fun to watch. He might be the most fun player to watch in college basketball. He just has such an edge to him. 
He has such a winning ability to him. And and Terrence Shannon also played great off the bench in this game. He rebounded the ball really well. He he was put the ball on the floor well. He he was there. He was their leader for a while, their go-to guy. And so LSU's a really good offense, and LSU defended well for a lot of this game, but down the stretch, their defense hurt them, and they it was a pretty Pretty disappointing, devastating loss for the Tigers and a crazy comeback for Texas Tech. Another game on Saturday was Florida beating West Virginia 85-80. to This Florida team just keeps on getting better, and everyone knows they lost Keontae Johnson, who was SEC preseason player of the year, obviously their best player. And the development of this Florida team and watching them improve is pretty amazing. The transfer Colin Castleton, transfer from Michigan, has been amazing, and his his physicality against maybe the most physical team in the country in West Virginia was was really impressive and good to see. He had 21.7 rebounds and five blocks against a really physical West Virginia team and Derek Culver, and, and I mean Noah Locke shooting the ball great. And th this Florida team has depth. They they play a bunch of guys off the bench. A bunch of guys can play. They got Scotty Lewis back, and they actually brought him off the bench in this game, but. They have some, they have some dogs on this team, and they have guys who want to win. And Florida is getting a lot better, especially offensively. Another Saturday upset that we saw was Georgia Tech beating Florida State seventy-six to sixty-five. This Georgia Tech team was kind of a dark horse in my opinion, the ACC and a dark horse in the national conversation going into the year. And they suffered two losses early in the year, first games of the year, which was surprising. And they're kind of fighting back from those two losses. And then this, uh, the two games before this one, they lost to Virginia in a game where they choked down the stretch and they let that game get away from them. And then they lost a close game to Duke earlier this week before the Florida State game. And then on Saturday, we just saw what Georgia Tech can be. I mean, the big three of Jose Alvarado, Moses Wright, and Michael DeVoe is one of the more underrated uh, trios in the country, a trio that should be talked about way more than they are. Jose Alvarado is just a phenomenal defender. Michael DeVoe is a great shooter from the outside. He has been his whole career. And Moses Wright is just, he, he's a warrior inside. He scores inside, slasher, and he's super physical, high-energy guy for Georgia Tech. This Georgia Tech team is good. They're good on both ends of the floor. And this was a statement win. To beat a Florida State team who was really, really playing good basketball at the time, statement win for the Yellow Jackets on Saturday. A couple more notables. Duke got two straight wins to snap their uh, three-game losing streak on uh, this week. They beat Georgia Tech, quality win. They beat Clemson, quality win. So Duke picked up two big wins, two needed wins, and especially against Clemson, they looked a lot better. The backcourt should hit nine threes, and that, that's what they need. They need their guards to make shots consistently and take care of the ball, and they were able to do that against Clemson well. And the last one, Houston completed a sweep of SMU. Houston uh, – didn't play off, didn't play too well offensively today when they beat SMU, but they still were just suffocating defensively and just took Kendrick Davis out of the game. So this defense is for real for Houston. And if, if this team shoots in more than just Marcus Sasser shooting the ball, Houston becomes a really good team because this team can flat out defend. And with this result, it kind of means that American, the American Conference could see themselves being a one bid league, which would be pretty crazy to see is this, this, Conference has been a multiple bid league, two, three, you know, teams. So we're not really accustomed to seeing one bid out of the American Conference, but this year it's really looking that way. I have a new segment I want to start doing. On my Instagram, I asked for my followers to leave some questions that they want answered, and so I'm going to answer some questions. 
You can follow me on my Instagram at CHM Podcast, as well as that's my Twitter handle as well. So the first question I'm going to answer is from 410.tm. This person asked, who is the favorite to win the ACC? Although Virginia Tech did beat Virginia, uh, Virginia Tech still has two losses in the ACC and Virginia still only has one. I still think Virginia is the best team in the ACC over the long haul of a regular season. This is a consistent team that you can trust night to night. So I still think Virginia is the, the favorite to win the ACC, and I think they will win the ACC. My next question came, comes from Blaze Broderson. Brendan underscore Blosser and Jake underscore Emmons, as they all ask pretty similar questions along the lines of what is like what to think of Ohio State and if I think they're legit. I think Ohio State is a really, really good basketball team. This team is super good on the offensive end. They're up to number 10 on Ken Palm. They're number five in offensive efficiency in the whole country. I really like that Ohio State is super versatile, mainly that being EJ Liddell is just a mismatch nightmare for teams down low. I mean, th what I love about EJ Liddell is like he he's used as the screener, and he can pop the screen, he can slip the screen, he can roll the screen. And because he, he can make shots, he can make a three-point shot, he can put on the floor and hit a mid-ranger, he can get a fadeaway, falling away, jump shot, he can play with his back to the basket, he has a face-up game. EJ Liddell is a really, really well-rounded player, and who, no matter who's guarding him, it's going to be a tough night for him. Uh, Justice Suing gives really good size. He's six seven. He can be a point guard at times, ball handler. He's a tough mismatch. Gives really good length on the outside for them. Uh, I, I think Dwayne Washington's a really special leader. I think he he he's he has a knack for hitting tough shots. You have a, a Washington Liddell ball screen is just lethal. As both of them can fill it up everywhere. And I mean, adding Justin Arns out there. He's just a dead eye from the outside. They're bringing C.J. Walker off the bench now. I love C.J. Walker. He's a phenomenal point guard, does all the little things. Great free throw shooter. He can hit his mid-range. He gets downhill. Uh, he's a he's a shifty driver. You know, he can hit the three-pointer. And so I like him a lot as well. I think somebody not talked about enough for Ohio State is Zed Key, as he kind of gives them that true post, a guy who only really plays inside. They can kind of go four out, one in around him sometimes. And it's an interesting look because he's a pretty efficient guy inside. He has true post moves, something you don't really see a lot these days. And so I think as Ohio State improves on the defensive end, which they are doing right now, this becomes a Final Four contender. And this Ohio State team can contend for a Final Four, and they certainly have the capability to get to a Final Four. My next question comes from Chase Horner 06. Chase Horner 06 asked, does the Kansas-Tennessee game say more about Tennessee or does it say more about Kansas? I touched on both of these teams earlier in the podcast in this game a little bit. I would say it's hard to say what it says, says more about. I would go on, it says a decent amount about both teams. I think it shows what Tennessee can be capable of. And on Saturday, Tennessee showed that they can be a top five quality, you know, top 10 quality team, a final four quality basketball team. And it also said a lot about Kansas. Like it proved the point that Kansas is just not a great team. It, it brought the fact out again that they don't have a go-to guy. They really don't have that, the go-to guy that they've had in past years. So 
I think it says a lot about both teams. It's hard to say who it says more about, but it definitely spoke volumes to both teams. My next question comes from Grayson underscore Blalock as he asked for my Big 12 power rankings. And so I this was hard for me to do. I, I, I made them, and it was hard. So I definitely think Baylor's one, and I think Texas is two. But the next stretch, it was just really hard for me, the Texas Tech, Oklahoma, West Virginia, Kansas, Oklahoma State stretch. And it, it was hard for me to rank these, but this I decided I think Texas Tech would be my third team. I think Oklahoma is my fourth team. I think West Virginia is my sixth team. I think Kansas is seven. Or Sorry, uh, I had Texas Tech three, Oklahoma four, West Virginia five. I think Kansas is my sixth team, which is crazy. crazy crazy to say because they've they won so many straight big 12 regular season titles there and now i have kansas at six and i have oklahoma state at seven who by the way like oklahoma state they're not far apart from texas tech at three in my opinion oklahoma state's a really good basketball team three through seven these teams are close and at eight, I have TCU. I at nine, I have Iowa State, and at ten, I have Kansas State. Eight through ten, I mean, I feel like that's what most people would probably have. So I, and I think most people would probably have Baylor and Texas at one and two. Like Texas did lose to Oklahoma this past week, but but remember, it was without Courtney Ramey and it was without Jericho Sims, two starters, two important pieces to this Texas team. So not overreaction that loss too much. It was still just by one point. So those are my Big Twelve power rankings. And the last question that I'm going to answer was from Augusta Mishra 06, as this person asked for my dark horse for March Madness. So I have a couple different answers for this. My dark horse team that I think could maybe win a national championship is Florida State. And I touched on it on the last podcast. It was, it, it's mainly to the fact that I think they have they have all the pieces they need. They have the NBA talent mixed with great shooters on the outside experience, a seven-footer, uh, versatility. I, I think a deep depth. I, they have everything, even though they did lose to Georgia Tech Saturday. I think if Florida State reaches their potential, I think I think they can contend for a national championship is, is they can, can be that good. And a dark horse to kind of, you know, maybe get out of a first weekend or so is the same team that did it just a couple years ago in Loyola, Chicago. Loyola Chicago is 16 in Ken Palm. They have a nasty defense along with Cameron Crutwig, who is just experienced. He was on that Final Four team, and they have good guards around him. I think this Loyola Chicago team can be really good, along with Drake. I think the Missouri Valley should be a two-bid league this year, and hopefully it will be a two-bid league this year. So those are my dark horses for March Madness, and those are those will be all the follower questions I'll be asking this week, but... I'll be posting that weekly on my Instagram. Again, it's at CHM Podcast on Instagram and also Twitter if you want to follow me on Twitter as well. But here quickly before I wrap up my podcast, I'm just going to pick a few upcoming games this week. First, I have Oklahoma at Texas Tech Monday night, which is tomorrow night. And Oklahoma is super hot right now. Texas Tech coming off the come from behind win, and I'll take Texas Tech to win this game, large part to them being home. Next up, another Big 12 game, Baylor at Texas Tuesday night. Uh, as good as I think Baylor is, and this is this has been the game I've said all year long, I think Baylor loses one game this year, and I think it comes Tuesday night at Texas. Must watch TV. Baylor at Texas, Tuesday night. Uh, next game, Thursday, I have Ohio State at Iowa. 
Ohio State playing great. I just touched on them and how good I think they are. The fact that is it Iowa, I mean, Iowa is kind of similar to Ohio State, but a better uh, offense. Ohio State probably has a slightly better defense than Iowa. And I'm going to pick Iowa in this game, although I think it's going to be a really, really good game. Two teams that play fairly similarly in, uh, in their strengths and weaknesses. So really good game on Thursday. And the last game I'm going to pick is Alabama at Missouri, which is uh, Saturday. And and this game is really interesting. It's Alabama, although went one and one last week with beating Kentucky and losing to Oklahoma. They really didn't play too good at basketball in either game. They didn't play great against Kentucky, even though they did beat them. In Missouri, coming off of the crazy come from behind win over TCU this past weekend, where TCU was up eighty-two to seventy with three minutes and forty seconds left in the game, and Missouri came back and and wound up forcing overtime, where they ended up coming away with the win. Jeremiah Tillman is really a surging for Missouri right now. Although I think uh, this Missouri team is really good, and I think they're a little underrated, and I I love how this team is built of a bunch of you know under the radar guys. I'm still going to pick Alabama in this team. I just love I love their versatility on defense. I love the length in their in their perimeter in their backcourt. Like I said, like and this team can just switch everything. I think they'll get back on track offensively, start taking care of the ball better because they really didn't do that too well last week. Oh, wait a second. I know I said that would be my last pick, but I forgot. I also had this one last one. This is Saturday night. UCLA at USC, the rivalry game in the Pac-12. Uh, USC is at 13-3, and and UCLA is currently also 13-3. and So it's going to be a really good game in the Pac-12 Saturday night. And UCLA has been kind of squeaking by teams lately. And they, they've been winning a lot since Christmas, been hurt, but they've been squeaking by. I personally think USC is probably the better basketball team. I love Evan Mobley, and he was a really highly uh, recruited prospect coming in. He was the number one ranked prospect for a while on ESPN. But he's he hasn't been really talked about much, partially because he's playing in USC and the Pac-12. And that's not talked about as much as the East Coast typically because, you know, he's playing late night games. So it hasn't been talked about as much, but I'll pick USC in this game. And with that being said, that'll be the conclusion of this College Hoops Mania show. I really appreciate you guys listening. And once again, if you wouldn't mind leaving a follow on Spotify or subscribing on iTunes, that is great help to me. And I really appreciate every single person that does that and just trying to get the popularity out there. Once again, you were listening to this on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel. And I'll see you guys next week. Thank you guys for listening and see you later. Bye.